there's a difference between passion and purpose. And I think there's also a strength in pairing your passion with your skill sets. Welcome to the Fierce, Free, and Full of Fire series on the For the Love podcast with me, Jen Hatmaker. Today, we talk with author and podcaster Jordan Lee Dooley about how to chase our dreams and really own them. Hey, everybody, Jen Hatmaker here. Welcome to the For the Love podcast. I'm delighted to have you. Because right now we are in a series called For the Love of Fierce, Free, and Full of Fire. And this is an incredible series that we built out around the upcoming release of my latest book, of course, which comes out April 21st. And as a team, we kind of got together and went, who can we invite that just embodies this message, everything that I'm wanting to put in your hands right now with this book. I believe it's going to serve you so well. And by the way, available for pre-order right now. And if you pre-order this book, you would not believe the pile of goodies you get. You get so many incredible audio pieces and downloadable pieces. You get an hour-long coaching video I've done and probably most exciting. You have access to the webcast that comes out on April 30th, which is going to be incredible with me, Brene Brown, Angela Johnson, and fantastic musical guests. Johnny Swim. So any pre-order of the book gets you auto access to the webcast. So that's any format, any vendor, like there's no reason you would not do this. Right now when we're just all at homes and the only way we can get to each other is through our screens, you're going to want this webcast. And I really hope you're going to want this book. This is the book of my heart. It's everything I've learned, everything I know, and everything I'm hoping for you and our community of women. So You can get it anywhere books are sold, you guys, by the way. And let's find a way to support our local guys. They're actually the ones still delivering. So my next guest today is helping this next generation live into their own potential in a really dynamic way. And you're going to see what I mean if you are new to her. So author and podcaster Jordan Lee Dooley is here today. She's built this robust community because she offers her people practical, sometimes out-of-the-box tools to help millennial women grow. Jordan helps others like recognize everything that's living inside of them and how to begin moving in that direction. No matter the resistance they might feel or how big a mountain it seems like it is, the circumstances they find themselves in today, anything. So she released a really wonderful best-selling book called Own Your Everyday, and what a great resource toward this. She's got a phenomenal podcast a lot of you probably already listened to called The She Podcast and a hugely successful online business school called The Own It Academy, which we talk about a little bit. She's an Indiana girl, happily married to her husband, Matt, and they live with their dog, Hoosier, because Indiana hello, much respect. And so she just brings such like a vibrant, wonderful joy to this conversation today. Just fresh energy and optimism and also this very like approachable way about her, which is just, let's just kind of steer into the curve. You're going to see what I mean today. This was such a fun, lively conversation. I am so happy to have met her and so glad to be able to introduce her to you if you've not already met her. So without any 
further ado, please enjoy this incredible conversation with the outstanding Jordan Lee Dooley. I am absolutely delighted to be like speaking to you and meeting you for the first time, Jordan. Welcome to the For the Love podcast. Uh, the feeling is mutual. I mean, nothing like a weird world to just give us some time to do this, right? I know. I know. You know, it's chaos and it's crazy, but it's also, I think, giving us different ways to find connection. You know, it's like get more creative with your connection. So here we go. That is <laughs> 100% true. I mean, it is really interesting to watch right now the world figure out how to like reach out and grab onto one another while we're isolated in our homes. It's really marvelous. Okay, I want to talk about you for a second. You recently published a book called Own Your Everyday, which I love your title so much. The book is honest and it is encouraging and it's wonderful. And we're going to talk about that in a few minutes because you have a lot of very relevant things to talk to us about in this world. But I wonder if first for my listeners, could you reel it back a little bit for us and talk about how you went from being a college student who owned a small lettering Etsy shop to who you are today, which is a best-selling author and a podcaster and a business educator, which is fantastic, helping creatives find their purpose. I really love your work. Can you talk a little bit about how you got from there to there? Yeah. You know, it's interesting because I started with a little Etsy store with no intention of I didn't even think I liked business. Like I always joke about it. When I was first going into college, I had direct admission to one of the top business schools in the country and I turned it down because business sounded boring. Okay. When I saw like the suits and the ties, I was like, no thanks. And it didn't really seem to in any way foster and serve my creative side and my people side, you know? So I think I just had this vision of business is boring and kind of tried a million different things. And so when I started that Etsy store, it was more like a paid hobby. Yes, it was a business, but I was thinking of it more as something that I just enjoyed. Sure. So, you know, from there, as it started to grow and I realized, oh, I need to make this a legit thing because I have to pay taxes and I actually need to figure this out. It led to this, you know, several year experiment of picking up different things and learning how to make money with them, whether that was self-publishing books or running a wedding photography company or offering social media marketing services to local wedding venues or speaking on college campuses. Like I literally just thought, hey, I have skills in communication. I have creative skills. And I also have a husband who's trying to play in the NFL or at the time, you know, when I first started the Etsy store, I wasn't even married to him, but we knew that's what we were going to be doing. And I thought that's not necessarily a very stable career. That's not necessarily something that you stay in one position, you know, or one location for very long. Totally. So I thought I want to create flexibility in my life. I just knew the office lifestyle wasn't for me. I got a healthcare administration or kind of healthcare management degree. And so I had options there, but I knew that I probably wasn't going to be in one location the first few years after I finished school. I knew that I wanted to have flexibility when I would one day become a mom, even though I knew that was kind of several years down the road. And so I kind of started to look at the picture of my life. And I just thought, I think I just need to be somebody who finds and figures out how to use my gifts to make money and and create flexibility. And if that means I need to create my own jobs, then that's what I'll do. And I just created a lot of my own jobs to like kind of finally it all started to culminate. And all the different experiences that I had, as random as some of them seemed, whether it was writing a devotional or doing photography or something else, they all started to kind of come together into this space of 
really now what it has become. When I wrote the book, Own Your Every Day, I wrote out that story because so many parts of it felt random. I was like, oh yeah, I randomly had a photography business. Like what? That only lasted for a year. But what I realized is all of those things really prepared me for where I'm at now. I still use my photography skills. I still use social media marketing. I still use my writing. You know, all of those things, they just kind of culminated into something that was more focused, but it took some years of exploration and experimenting And, you know, I think so often we women don't give ourselves the permission to try stuff. We stick to what we know. We stick to other people's comfort zones. And I just kind of was like, I'm just not going to do that. (laughs) Oh my gosh, totally. This feels so familiar to me. Like as you're talking, I'm looking backward at the path that I took to, which was incredibly divergent. I'm not doing what I went to school for. I took a very meandering path. I'm like you, incredibly nonlinear, but I can look back now and go, oh, nothing was wasted. I took little pieces of all these stages along the way, and they ultimately became bricks in this entirely new structure. I really didn't even know I was building. I think there's this really generous way to look at our life and imagine that maybe this thing I'm doing right now is not my forever thing. Maybe I have some dissatisfaction inside of it, or I'm discovering it's not what I want my entire path to be, but still something there is going to remain. You're building something inside of you from every single stage that you're going to use later. I like this about you. I like that you kept going that you just kept going, even when maybe something wobbled, or maybe you're like, nope, this isn't it, or I don't love this enough to do it for an entire career, and you just chased, and you chased, and you chased. I did the exact same thing. I stayed my hand at what I thought was going to be like my life's work way before it worked. I mean, way. Back when you really, nobody could have said anything except this is failure. Like that's literally what it was. And I just kept going because I knew, like I knew this is going to be my work. So I would like to hear you talk about this. What was it inside of you or what did you learn? Sometimes it's hindsight. Sometimes it's foresight. I don't know which way it worked for you to keep your hand at building and building and building, even when it was hard, even when maybe you were not getting the results you were hoping for, or you realized I'm still going to, this isn't going to be the final destination. How did you keep going? You know, that's such a good question. And I so relate to what you're sharing. I will say, I think just by the grace of God and a lot of support, but I think another part of it is I knew even somewhat vaguely what my vision for my life was. And I didn't realize that I knew what the vision for my life was because at first I thought I was just trying things, which I was, you know, I was just trying to discover what it was that I was best at, what it was that I was passionate about, how those two things came together in a strategic way. But, you know, I think part of the reason I was able to keep going is partially because I was living or attempting to live the future vision that I had had in the present. And I knew that the future vision for my life was that I would have flexibility because my greatest dream and my greatest ambition was to become a mom. But I knew that I didn't want to be a mom without also doing something with my own craft and my own skills. I wanted to somehow find a way to blend those things so that I had time freedom and flexibility. That was my desire for my life. Not everyone has that desire, but I voiced that when I was, you know, first beginning. And so I think that vague vision, even though it wasn't entirely clear or even actualized, helped keep me motivated of like, no, I want to have control of my schedule. I want to make an impact. I want to be able to do X, Y, and Z. And so partially, I think it was that vision. And also what I realized is the underlying skill that I had that really allowed me to succeed in a lot of these things 
was communication in a strategic way, which a lot of people would call marketing. Writing and communication were there from the second I started my Etsy store. My Etsy store didn't grow or succeed or do anything well because it was the best hand lettering. Actually, I wasn't a very good hand letterer. I look back and I'm like, wow, that's embarrassing. <laughs> but it's great. it worked because I wrote content. Yes, I figured out how to use the internet and create content that connected with an ideal customer. And then that customer would then share. And that has been the theme that I've done through photography. I was, I was a storyteller, much like you. And so when I identified that, I thought, this is a craft and a skill that I can use to help any kind of business or organization succeed if I can do it properly. And so I think knowing that, and as soon as I identified that shortly after starting that Etsy store, I knew that my path may look a little, you know, windy until I figured out exactly where I needed to go, but that I could keep going because I identified that skill and I own that skill and I was unashamed to use it and make money with it too. I think a lot of people know they have a skill and then they feel weird about how to put it out there. And I just didn't. So (laughs) I don't know if that makes sense, but it makes perfect sense. And I love it. And so that's a good segue because Obviously, a lot of your messaging is geared toward creative entrepreneurs. You know, that was sort of your comeuppance as well. But you're wider than that. You've actually also spoken quite a bit about empowering women in whatever lane they find themselves in and helping them sort of wake up to the life that they are meant to live, whether that's inside a creative space or a corporate space or whatever the thing is. It's a sort of a bigger umbrella. Why do you think, because you serve women and I do too, Why do you think we have, and you just mentioned this, such a difficult time expressing what it is like we want at first and then taking steps toward getting there? This voicing of this is what I want, this is what I'm good at, and this is what I'd like to make a living at, honestly. Mm -hmm. I think probably, and I wrote about this a little bit in Own Your Everyday, but I think the reason we have trouble with that is partially just due to our own lack of clarity. I think people don't always know what they want, I think, but we definitely know what we don't want. So sometimes we have to start there with what we don't want and then kind of reverse engineer. But I think the other reason, and perhaps the bigger reason that we do that or that we struggle with that is something I call boxes. I think at some point in our lives, we put ourselves into a certain box, partly because I think our nature is to put other people in a box based on what we understand about them. So for example, we might look at someone we know and, you know, draw a couple quick facts that we know about them. Okay. Let's say she is a doctor. Great. We've put her in the doctor box. What if she's miserable being a doctor and really knows that she wants to be a journalist, but has no idea how to make that career pivot and doesn't have any background in journalism, even though she knows she's good at it, or she's dabbled in that space on the side or something. It is so difficult for us to open the door to our own little self-created boxes, because we know that we look at other people and kind of put them in a box subconsciously. We don't mean to confine them to that, but we really do look at them based on our understanding of what they do and who they are according to how we see them and our lens at which we look at them. And so I think because we subconsciously and naturally do that as humans in an attempt to understand others, we again, we apply that same logic to ourselves and worry like, well, other people see me as this. This is other people's expectations of me. This is how I understand me. This is the box I'm used to. And so what we start doing is we like create, we create this little box that we live in based on other people's perceptions, expectations, and our own understanding of what we're supposed to do with our lives. And it takes a lot of courage to say like, well, what if there was a door in this box? And what would it look like to just kind of like peek my toe out? And I think part of the problem is that we think if we're going to pursue the things that we realize we want, we have to go big or go home. 
But I look back at my own story and it's kind of like, no, I just started small in a storage closet. Sure. And so I think if we can say, I'm going to take off that pressure for a second. I'm going to realize my life is a path to walk on, not a box to live in. And I'm going to, instead of feeling like I have to just switch boxes overnight, I'm going to move 1% closer to that dream. I'm going to move 1% closer to that thing that it is I know I'm best at or that I'm most interested in or I know I'm called to. And that might just look like if you're the doctor example and you want to work on writing and journalism, maybe that means just writing one Instagram caption a week around a topic you're passionate about. Like that could be the 1%. It doesn't mean you're up and quitting your job tomorrow. It doesn't mean that you're throwing your life upside down and shifting it all around. It might be that simple. And I think as you take one baby step closer and you move one person, you move the needle 1% at a time, you know, you look back and you're like, whoa. I've blown the door off this box. I think we have that pressure to think like you either have to be in this one or this one and you need to pick overnight and these are what people expect you to do, so stay there. Guys, quick break for an excerpt. I want to read to you out of Fierce. Okay, so I actually love what Jordan had to say here about her own dreams and giving them life and attention even when things got hard. So I wrote about this in the what I want section of fierce in specifically in chapter seven, which is called I want this dream. Okay, so here's what I wrote. I am not a self made woman, which as I mentioned earlier, is not a thing. But the fire in the belly, the late nights, the zero paychecks, the commitment, the 1000s of hours logged in obscurity, those were mine. I put my head down and worked so hard for so many years, while also working hard on everything else. When early results could be interpreted no other way than failure, I refused to take no for an answer. Why? I just knew this want of mine was going somewhere. I'd already said yes to Jesus, to myself, to the women I served, and I refused to grab the low-hanging fruit of overnight success stories, easy eject buttons, or career-ending discouragement. Career here being a very loose term. I've always found work very noble, and I consider it an honor to show up for my own life in a way that I would be proud of later. Got a dream? Show up for it. All right, I'm just going to drop that in here. I hope that serves you in some way, and that if you've got your own fire in the belly to go do what you were put on this earth to do. So let's get back to my interview with Jordan. I think we talk a lot about our own comfort zones, which is definitely applicable here. But we also need to remember that I think we are also sometimes trapped by, in our own minds, other people's comfort zones for our careers and what we're doing with our lives. And I always say that carefully and cautiously because I think sometimes we can apply that to everyone. And I think there are exceptions, like a spouse who has confusion or concerns or people who genuinely care about us. But in the grand scheme of things, I think what we worry about the most is like, even what strangers think of us, right? Or like old college friends who don't actually have an invested interest in what we do. But there's a wisdom that comes with that. But I think if we can say, hold on, I'm not confined to everyone else's comfort zone for my career and for the life that I'm called to, that immediately creates the freedom of like, okay, what's one small step I can take in that direction then? Totally. This is a song I sing all the time for women. And that was kind of a big theme in Fierce, Free, and Full of Fire too, which is that 
I think women struggle to trust themselves that generally, if we can get pretty still and listen to our gut and listen to our instinct, listen to our intuition, listen to our inner voice, she's generally telling us the right thing. She's leading us well, but we don't trust ourselves. And so, you know, sometimes there's these red flags being raised internally, like, you're a doctor and you're really, really unhappy. This career is crushing you, to use your example. Or you've got this creative muscle that it would really serve you well to begin flexing. We can trust that voice. But the problem is, I think, as you mentioned, other people's expectations on us, be it career or the role that we are playing, we have this sense of women, which is we've been conditioned from the time we were little to keep the peace, right? We're just keep the peace. And then what happens for a lot of us is in doing that, we don't have any peace. <laughs> we rob ourselves of peace or we rob our communities of peace. And so I think there is really something valuable and noble about trusting yourself and trusting your instinct. And in that even if it makes absolutely no sense on paper, if you're a doctor and you want to open a tulip shop, Maybe that makes no sense on paper, but your intuition is trying to tell you something and we should listen. We should listen to that and not imagine that we are the person who knows the very least about our own path and that everybody else knows better. And I love that you talk about that. Guys, I am loving what Jordan has to say about trusting ourselves, about trusting our instincts. It's so important, especially with what we've been going through these last couple of months when we feel like, just like I don't know anything anymore, right? To remember that still small voice inside of us guiding us. We can trust it. It's so comforting. Okay, so we've got more of Jordan, which you are going to love hearing the rest of our chat. But I wanted to break in for a second to tell you about what else is going on in the world. Because do you ever just marvel at the gravity of the entire planet being touched by this pandemic? It's not just something we look at on TV that's happening either only right here or very, very far away. It's happening everywhere. And it kind of boggles the mind. And I mean, everyone in the world is facing something that this crisis has taken away, you know, work, our routines, our freedom, connection, maybe dealing with a loved one who is sick. And the reality that there are places in the world even more vulnerable to the devastating effects of a pandemic. So it really gives me hope that organizations like International Justice Mission are stepping up their efforts specifically to help people in the most vulnerable areas. Their biggest efforts, of course, focus on anti-slavery, literally rescuing people out of slavery all over the world, which is you know, incredible, important work. And they don't shut down because of this pandemic, right? Violence against people who live in vulnerable communities goes up at times like this, not down. So IJM is working with partners to supply food and housing to people affected and also investigating cases of increased violence and human trafficking right now. So it just makes me filled with gratitude that people who might have been lost in the immensity of this crisis are not forgotten. I'm just going to tell you, if you want to see some good news in the midst of so much hard news swirling around us, and probably, I'm just going to be honest with you, have a good cry. 
Head on over with your Kleenex to IJM.org slash share hope. Now there are real stories over there on video of the actual people IJM is helping and serving. So just when you think the world has gone to hell in a handbasket, I'm telling you that these stories will give you faith in mankind once again. Okay. So that's IJM.org slash share hope. Now, thank you for taking this little break with me to hear about the important work that IJM is doing. It really inspires me to see how we are all coming together to help each other in this hard moment in history. Okay, let's get back to our talk with Jordan Lee Dooley. I want to talk about something else that you have put out into the world that is, whoa, timely right now. You have a podcast called The She Podcast. Great title. You had an episode that's like, well, you called it The Secret Art of Pivoting Well. It's so funny because the word pivot is, this is my, the internal word me and my team are using 40 times a day right now. We're like, okay, pivot. Here's the new pivot of the hour. I and mean, we're just pivoting yep. constantly. We all are. The whole world is pivoting yep. right now. And so this is one thing you said there that I loved. You said, if you're growing, you're changing. That's it. Like that is some of the secret sauce. Why do you think it is so important that women learn the power of a successful pivot? Like how did you know your dreams were changing and how did you give yourself permission for those dreams to change? You know, gosh, such a good question. I think it was through a lot of wrestling and I want to be realistic in that because as much as I've had to really own the confidence that comes with the calling that I've now been pursuing, it has not come without confusion. It has not come without wrestling. It has not come without consulting trusted voices in my life. It has not come without prayer. It has not come without all that work you know, that you have to do. And so when it comes to pivoting, whether that's in your career or usually, I guess in this context, we're talking about in our careers, my husband gave me a really helpful visual and he gave it to me after I kind of learned the hard way. Cause I can be, I don't know if you're like this, but I can be a very quick mover. I'm like, Oh, I have the vision of where I need to go. Boom, turn, you know, and I want to just do that. And I create whiplash either for my community or for my team or for both. And everyone's like, wait, what are we doing now? You know? And so that's where, when I've, in the past tried to move too quickly, it's led to a lot of confusion, ambiguity, and me just moving too fast for anyone else to keep up with. And so it kind of took a deep breath, slowing down. And my husband illustrating it to me really well. He said, look, any pivot that you make, whether that's with writing or whether that's with what you're selling or whatever that is, what you're doing with your work, you need to be thinking of it like a pickup truck. And if a pickup truck has people in the back, whether that's your team members or your audience or both or your customer base, if you just hard right turn 90 degrees, they're all going to go flying out the back, right? And he said, and you have people to steward. It's not that you have to live to other people's expectations, but you do have to steward the people that you've brought into your sphere, the people that you serve through your work, the people that help you create said work and that content and everything that you do. So his whole thing was, whether that's your family, your team, your customers, or all of the above, it's really important to say, if I'm going to turn this pickup truck, if I can do it with wisdom, then the most wise way I'm going to do it is to take that long, slow, wide turn. And I think we can be so quick to go, oh, this is my new vision. I need to actualize it. I need to go. And I know this because I've done it the wrong way before. We move too quickly to where other people are like, what? What's going on? And they all fly out the back. Now, when you take a long, slow, wide turn, you might still have people get off. You might still have people go, okay, this isn't the direction that I thought we were all going, right? 
okay, there'll be new people that get in. That's great. But I think it's important. That was really helpful for me to understand how I can best make pivots in such a way that's keeping others informed, that's bringing them along for the journey rather than being like, forget you, I'm bored of this. And I think sometimes when we pivot, we think that's what it is. It's like all of a sudden confident moment we have, independent woman, I'm doing my own thing. And then we just drop people and we actually end up causing more harm than good. And so that's why I think pivoting well really looks more like turning your pickup truck a long, slow turn and helping steward that journey for others with you that you've invited into your circle that have helped facilitate growth with where you are now, even if it's not where you want to stay. It's great. That's great leadership principles, and it doesn't necessarily put our big ideas on the altar for dismissal, but it's just a stewardship of it. I think we'll end up with better and stronger results if that's our approach as well, because it's true. Other people haven't lived inside of our brains and they don't understand all the thoughts we've been noodling. And so to a lot of other people, it just feels abrupt. And so I find that to be incredibly true. I'm also like that, you know, I'm big ideas or I'm big feelings. And so really taking like the slow turn is a really best practice as we also embrace change. We can do both. I like the fact that in your book, you admit that women often struggle with this pressure to prove and therefore completely flounder on recognizing purpose. Well, look, okay, I am a card carrying Enneagram three. Okay, I, I just identify with that. That's the way I'm sort of wired. But it doesn't have to be this way. We don't have to bend and squash ourselves to something completely unrecognizable to ourselves just to please other people or just to prove or just to perform for applause or even just to hit somebody else's mark. Why do you think we do this? And how would you suggest we stop trying to prove ourselves and let our authentic selves sort of rise up that is much more mired in purpose than proving. Hmm, It's good. I think this is kind of goes back to the expectations thing. I came up with this little phrase, the toxic trio, when we have insecurities and then we have paired that with expectations that we believe are on us, whether they are actually there or not, those two things combine to create this pressure to prove. And it becomes this like really toxic cycle. When I feel insecure about something that I'm doing or myself or my calling or whatever that is, and then that pairs with what I think other people expect me to be. Suddenly I feel this pressure to prove either them wrong or them right, whatever that looks like. And, you know, to answer the question about how do we stop trying to prove ourselves, you know, I don't necessarily think that we ever just stop feeling that pressure, but I think we can stop responding to it by saying, okay, how do I, let let me write down, let me actually vocalize and understand these subconscious expectations that I think are actually on me and then address them. So what I mean by that is, I'll go back to the example of when I first started my Etsy shop. The reason that even kind of became something I gave myself permission to do, I mean, I was always the academic and the athlete. Like I had a creative brain, but I always was, I want to have a 4.0. I want to, you know, achieve in, in sports. And so what was interesting to me is, I remember it was right before I started the Etsy store, I had a conversation with my mom. And for whatever reason growing up, I don't know if it's because both my parents were successful business people or what, but I had this idea that my parents expected me to graduate college and build this like corporate career. And like, I don't know why they never told me that they never actually said that to me. I don't know if it was just like oldest child syndrome and my own ambition. I don't know. 
But I was getting closer to graduation and I was looking ahead at my life going, I don't think I really want to work in an office. And I don't really know if this is right for me. And finally, I worked up the courage to tell my mom that because I felt kind of stuck. And she shocked me with her response because I thought her response would be like, well, honey, you know, you put a lot of time and money into getting this career or this degree. You need to at least, you know, give it a shot, blah, blah, blah. Now she looked at me and I told her, I said, you know, I don't know if I want to pursue these job options. And she just goes, okay, so don't. Hmm. And I was like, great. What? And she goes, yeah, don't just try some stuff. You have creative, you know, gifts and whatnot. Like you have, you know, a few more months till you graduate, like try some stuff. This is your chance. Try it. See what happens. Love it. And it shocked me because the expectation that I thought she would have had for me was never even there. So I think one of the best ways we can stop living under that pressure to prove is to say, what expectations do I have? Or do I think other people have of me? And maybe they're there, but like, let's address those. Let's have a conversation about them. Let's go to our mom or our spouse or our old friend from college and be like, hey, do you expect this of me? They're most of the time going to be like, no. Or if you can just be straight up honest and say, this is actually where I think I need to go. And here's why. I know this was kind of the expectation of what we we're going to do, but like, how can we make this work if it's, you know, with someone like your spouse or something? That's, I think, where you kind of overcome that pressure. And that's more on the private side of things. There's obviously like the public pressure that can come with what the larger scale people think, but that's like, I think where it actually matters. I you know what it. I mean? Like, I don't know. Do I know what you mean? Okay. So I wrote this story in Fierce about, I was a teacher, like I taught fourth grade and then just boom, boom, boom. We had babies all in a row. Nobody told us not to do that. I'm 29 and I have three little kids and we were just like, well, I mean, just we're drowning babies and drowning financially because I stayed home to sort of be with them when they were so little. Brandon, you know, all the time in my brain, he's harboring this idea like, oh my gosh, we got to get this girl back into the classroom so we can like pay our bills, get back to work. <laughs> and I knew, like I knew, knew, knew I'm not going back to the classroom. And I had this like burning, like, oh, I knew what I was meant to do. I knew it was time to write. I knew it was time to lead in like spiritual spaces. I knew it was time to lead women. Of course, nobody else knew this. Nobody was asking me to do this. But I remember coming to him and I wrote this hilarious like moment when I came to him, basically babies hanging off every arm and said, I think instead of going back to the classroom, I'm curious what you think if I decide to write a book. And he, I mean, God bless, you know, I didn't even have a computer. We did not own a computer. Of course, I'm expecting incredible resistance for real reason. Like it wouldn't have even been invented. It would have been fair to say that's adorable, but we are absolutely paycheck to paycheck right now. And this doesn't make sense. And no one's asking you to do that. But instead, Brandon Hatmaker went out and bought like a used laptop for $200. And so to your exact point, we don't necessarily know what somebody in our life is going to say to a pivot or to a big idea or to a change. Maybe they'll buy you a used laptop and like be your cheerleader. So let's not automatically assume that everybody around us is not on our team or not willing to like put a little air under our wings. Right. People might surprise you. Guys, popping in again to read something else to you because 
I'm loving this conversation with Jordan. Isn't it interesting how we try to prove ourselves when all along we feel better and ironically perform better in relationships where we aren't trying to prove ourselves, right? Have you ever noticed that paradox? Like when we just get to show up as ourselves, when we are safe. I wrote about this in the What I Need section of Fierce in a chapter called I Need More Connection. And I'm going to read you a paragraph. This is what I wrote. When we have meaningful relationships with people who say, I believe in you and you can do this, we start on third base instead of in the batter's box. In a study published in the Personality and Social Psychological Review, professors Brooke Feeney and Nancy Collins studied how positive relationships promote or hinder thriving and found two key effects. One is enabling us to chase purpose and meaning. In other words, connected relationships help us say yes to opportunities, yes to embracing resources, yes to pursuing work that matters, yes to healthy people, yes to our talents, yes to serving mankind, yes to a beautiful family, yes to God, yes to everything that elevates meaningful living. They do this overtly and also simply with their sustained presence in our lives because just being loved and knowing we belong is powerful fuel for a purposeful existence. End scene. Doesn't that make your heart feel happy? Like loving others, receiving their love in return, it really is the secret to everything. All right, let's get back to the interview with Jordan. When we are thinking about this, pursuing either our own growth or our own calling or something that we're deeply wanting or desiring to try, for a lot of us, the roadblocks are not because we have a lack of options or a lack of opportunities. It's that there's almost too many, especially right now. Like in today's world, there's so many sources just buzzing around and so much information, so many possibilities, and it could just be paralyzing. So how would you suggest we move out of that like information possibility paralysis and just closer to that thing that means something to us, that thing that feels like this is going to matter for me. So it's interesting because I always tend to challenge the idea that we should simply pursue our passions. And it's funny because that seems to be like super counterintuitive to what we're talking about right now. But in fact, I don't think it is. And here's why. I think we live in a world that tells us, pursue your passions, pursue what you're passionate about. You'll like this. You'll like that. It's like, We can be passionate about a million things, right? And I think what I mean by the difference between passion and purpose is that I can be passionate about a lot of things, right? I might be passionate about running. I might be passionate about gardening. I might be passionate about babies. I might be passionate about a million and five things. Okay, how do you begin if it's just that to narrow down well, what the heck should I actually focus on, right? And so what I say about why that's different from purpose is purpose is like your foundational, what legacy are you leaving? What are you actually like? I think we all kind of share a common purpose. I think that is foundational. So then what starts to happen is, okay, if we can understand like our foundational purpose is to make an impact, you know, like I always say, like the way I describe it is like, I want to love God and love people well. And I want to use my work as a vehicle to do that. So the actual work that we pursue is more like the vehicle to 
accomplish our foundational purpose, right? That's kind of like the unchanging thing. And I think it's so funny that we always say like, I want to go find my purpose. I'm like, that thing is, that's not the lost thing. You need to find the direct avenue in which you should be fulfilling that purpose, right? Which works best for you, which is where that second part comes in where we need to pair our passions with our skill sets. Because if we're simply aimlessly chasing all these different passions and we're not saying, well, hang on, this is actually where I have skill and I can pair it. So, you know, pair it with something that I actually really care about. That's where the magic happens. I think that's really where we find that sweet spot. And we tend to forego the skills part. So even the doctor example that I was mentioning earlier, if she really feels called to write or she really feels called to do something in journalism, maybe the best place to start is to say, use your background as a doctor. You don't have to be functioning as a doctor if you're miserable in that job, but start with that skill set of writing and your background as a doctor to deliver an incredible product and helpful information, right? And so even in your case, start writing a book, like having your background in education and having the skill set of writing, pairing that with the passion to serve women, that's where that came together. And this, that's why it led to something great. And even with me, I look back, I'm like, well, I had creative passions or I had like skill sets in writing, marketing, and small business. Like that was really where I had natural skill sets because I was raised in a household of entrepreneurs. So it only kind of just naturally made sense. And so I think when we can learn to be very intentional about saying, hang on, hang on, all these passions are running wild in my head. And I have about 15 million options of things that sound awesome. Let's look at my skill set and my background and my experience and how can I pair that with something that interests me, something that, and when we think about passions, this is another thing to help narrow down some of those options. We might be interested in a lot of things, but I think where our true passion and meaningfulness lies is when there's some sort of story of our own that we can pair with our skill sets. For example, if someone has a background in overcoming an eating disorder or overcoming something, you know, maybe marital problems or something like that, it makes sense that their passion is going to be helping other people that are walking through something similar. Now, how can they pair their skill sets with that passion? Does that make sense? Like it's just different than just a pure interest or opportunity. It kind of goes back to what we were talking about earlier where nothing is wasted. And so it doesn't always mean you completely yard sale. Everything you've ever done, everything you've ever known, your degree or educational background, and you just absolutely jump into a completely different pool. There's a lot of times like connective channels. I remember one time when I was really, really early in my career and I was just joking around kind of, but I also meant it. And I was telling somebody, whoops, like, sorry, mom and dad, completely not using that whole college degree you paid for. I had pivoted so far away from the classroom. My friend that I was talking to, she was like, like, you know, that's just not true. And she said, not only were you an English minor, but you learned how to be a teacher. And she's like, you're still teaching people. Like you're a teacher, you're a teacher and you're using writing. Your classroom just looks different. Yeah. And I had never really considered that before, but then I started paying attention and I noticed, oh my gosh, I'm actually using a ton of things I learned about communication, about different people's learning styles, about storytelling and how to be an exciting content deliverer. And so I love that you're saying that. And I want women to hear that, that, you know, go ahead and have a look at what are you holding in your hand? You know, what do you have here? What's your experience in your hand? What is your education? What do you love? What are you like weirdly good at? I think that those are really super clues. And I like that you're saying that because it's making it feel possible. I don't know if you heard the news, but I am delighted to tell you two things. Number one, 
The April 14th in-person live event has been rescheduled for September 9th in Dallas, same venue, September 9th. And most importantly to everybody listening, number two, the April 14th event is also going to be transformed into a webcast, woo! which will be coming straight to your screen on April 30th, April 30th. And my lovely special guests that were going to hang out with us, Brene Brown and Angela Johnson, will still be joining us for the webcast. The greatest women and now so many more of you are going to get to experience this. So how do you join the webcast fun? Super easy, you guys. First, if you already bought a ticket to the Dallas event, you're in, okay? Second, if you've pre-ordered my new book, Fierce, Free, and Full of Fire, in any format, any vendor, you're in. And third, if you're in the Jen Hatmaker Book Club, you're in. So all you have to do is go to jenhatmaker.com slash fierce event and register for the webcast. So easy. You have to register even if you're in one of those categories. That's just kind of how the platform works. So go register. And if you're not eligible for the webcast yet, we want to have you. We would love to have you. So to be eligible, you can either buy tickets to the rescheduled live event on September 9th or just pre-order the book. Pre-order, fierce, free, and full of fire, any vendor, any format, and then boom, go register for the webcast. That's it. That's how you get in. So how fantastic is this? How fantastic is this? We are so excited to bring this to you. You can do all of these things at jenhatmaker.com slash fierce event. Gosh, our culture's weird because I think what you and I see and the women that we love and serve see is that there's these moments right now, constantly, seemingly, where somebody's breaking out, right? Like all of a sudden they're a big star. All of a sudden they just went right to the top of the pile or if it's a breakout hit or it's a breakout author or a breakout leader or whatever. And so it gives us this impression that there is just some monstrous big thing that whether women admit this or not is often linked to fame like with a lot of notoriety, a lot of attention, a lot of eyes on it. And so what would you say to the woman who's listening and in her mind, like what her mind is telling her is that until that one big, famous, notorious thing is accomplished, she's a breakout, that she's living off purpose, that she's off task. What would you say to her? You know, it's interesting that you ask this because it seems so random when I happen to see it on my newsfeed, but it so applies here. You know, in the midst of, as we're recording this, at least, we're in the middle of this quarantine COVID crisis. And I saw this meme on Instagram. I don't even remember. Like, I just saw it and I thought, huh, that's interesting. Kept scrolling and it just came to mind. It was basically a meme of at the top half, a picture of a bunch of celebrities. And on the bottom half, there was a picture of a farmer. And it said, Right now, the world is realizing that we can get by without celebrities, but we need the farmers. That's great. And that struck me like, oh, man, it just like just stabbed me in the stomach. Because what we think is purpose is notoriety, is That's right. recognition and all that. But what actually sustains the world, what actually fulfills the purpose is I love there's this verse or something. I think it's a verse that says like there is nothing better for 
a man to eat and drink and see that his work is good or a woman to eat and drink and see that her work is good. And so it's like, if everything is not lasting, if at any moment, anything could be taken away, like as we've noticed so many things that we thought like were secure or not. And also that perspective of like, how are you contributing to the flourishing of humankind? Every time you start to think fame, notoriety, like that may happen for you at some point. Great. If it doesn't, you will still be on mission and on purpose if your entire aim and your primary focus is to use your gifts, your abilities, your talent, your time, and your resources to ultimately contribute to the flourishing of humankind in your household, in your community, and maybe even more nationally or more internationally at some point. But what does that actually look like? And is the work that you're doing and the time that you're spending dedicated to that? If so, and if it eventually grows into something bigger and reaching more, great. But if you reach a bunch of people and you don't have that primary aim and that primary mission, you're still going to be off purpose, even if 100,000 people know your name. That's great. I could not possibly agree more, which is why I love the idea of you don't have to start at 100, you start at 1%. Like, let's just build the thing, build it slowly, build it with intention, build it when no one's watching. Like, that's when you really figure out what you're made of. If we require applause to have a sense of meaning, that is a house of cards because applause comes and goes. I mean, it really does. I cannot even begin to express how fragile applause is. I mean, that thing, it could just disappear right as you're holding it, right through your fingers. And so I couldn't agree more. Build something that matters. Build something that will last. We don't control the outcomes to that. We only control the building. So you mentioned COVID. What is life? What is life right now? And nobody listening today saw this coming. We have not been prepared for what the reality that we are all now facing. And virtually every listener right now is experiencing some type of disappointment or uncertainty or anxiety, like right this very second. And so you and I started talking about this right before we started recording and we were just doing a check-in with each other. Can you go back to what you were saying about how you are approaching this strange new season that we're all in? Yeah, you know, I have really been reflecting a lot and I've been trying to look at this strange season as an opportunity and not in a weird like opportunistic way, but in a way that is like, okay, this is creating space, a space I think we all desperately need and rarely take time for. And what does that look like going forward? And I started to reflect 2020 has just been a weird year in total. I mean, from the onset, I mean, especially in our household, we had a personal loss and crisis in January and that was very shocking for me and pretty much laid me out. I mean, January, non-month, I didn't do anything. I had all these plans set up in December for 2020, come January 3rd, found out we were losing our baby. And from there I was like, I'm done. Nope. It seemed like all the goals and ambitions that I had in, in comparison to something like that were so silly and almost meaningless. And they weren't, you know, when you come that close to life and death in such a short period of time, it kind of shifts your perspective and rocks your world a little bit. And so January was pretty much a non-month in my life. And what was so interesting to me is that as bad as that was, and as bad as that will always be, one good thing that came out of that was this deepened sense of why I care about what I care about. It was me laying on the couch, able to grieve and physically heal and not have to go somewhere else and be on for someone else and say, I'm going to take the time I need because I've spent the last five and a half, six years cultivating a career that would allow me to do that. I didn't think it was going to be in a negative sense. I was hoping it would be raising a baby, but 
in that, it awakened in me this like, wait a second. And I went back to my why. And I went back to my, this adversity that I'm facing is deepening why I care about helping women with this and creating flexibility and freedom in their life should they want it. And then what's so interesting, so I planned the whole year around going to have a baby, lost the baby in January, had a non-month, and then had to replan the whole year again. So then we had this great plan. February comes, we start working on that plan. And then all of a sudden it's the current basis, right? And I'm like, so in three months time, we planned and replanned our year twice, which I've never had to do. Right. And so what was so interesting though, is like I said, in January, in this time of being still and pausing and not feeling hustled or rushed or anything, this deepened sense of why came about in me. Now in this current crisis, what's been really interesting is we've kind of had to pause and hold off and reevaluate everything has come a deepened sense of clarity and envision as to how, like the why was clarified in the adversity in my personal life. And the how is now being clarified a couple months later in this like global crisis, because it's daring me to go, hold on, how are we going to go about this? What is our big aim? How are we reverse engineering and rethinking really on a deeper level? How do we best align with that? Why? And what does that look like from a practical implementation? And so I share that because it's been so convicting to me over the last few months, how much adversity creates clarity and can create clarity. It doesn't automatically create clarity. If you're fighting it, if there's true like fear and grief and whatnot, all those emotions that we have to process. But I think if we so allow it and if we search for it, adversity can truly create clarity in our lives. It can take us back to what really matters. It can help us eliminate distractions and get really still and go deeper and really make sure that we're rushing and we're working and all these things that we do in alignment with what we're supposed to be doing and with why we started anything that we may have started to begin with. And so I guess my encouragement in the way I see it is like, this can be seen as a huge obstacle or it can be seen as an opportunity to pursue further clarity and to make a greater impact. And so that's really been the mantra of my team, of my family, and how we're now kind of navigating this very uncertain time. I'm going, yeah, I could see it as something scary. And to some degree, yeah, there's true anxiety around it. However, the more I can focus on the opportunity that lies within it, even though I thought we had the perfect plan, I'm now looking at it like, man, we have such a better plan now. This was actually for the best, even though it seems super inconvenient. That's so great. It really is a sifting, isn't it? And it almost forces us into a place where we have to really examine the what's, the why's, the how's. And first of all, I'm so sorry that you lost your baby. Oh, thank you. Such a sad story that most women experience in silence. And even though it's something that's shared by so many women, and I appreciate your willingness to talk about it and to be really open and vulnerable about that. I know that that has been a real comfort to people. And I think back to your other point, it is we really have an opportunity to examine right now. And all it's really going to take is a little bit of our attention. Yeah. Because we can just get caught up in the swirl. We can get caught up in the swirl of chaos and fear and unmet expectations and all the things that are competing for our line of vision right now. But it is possible to get a little still and to examine the pieces and the parts and the what's, how's, and why's and really take a good look at them and say, what am I learning right now? Like, what is this showing me? What clarity is available to me right now? I find that incredibly comforting. I find that incredibly encouraging and invigorating. And I hope that every listener can find a little corner where you can get still and quiet enough to have a look at that. What might that mean for you and for your life? Have you heard that I have my very own book club? It's true. And you are invited. 
Every month at the Jen Hatmaker Book Club, we dive into a book I'm pretty sure you're going to love. And we read all kinds of stuff, you guys. Fiction, nonfiction, memoir, short stories, all written by super fascinating people from all walks of life. So once a month, I send a book and other fun treats in your book box just for you. Um, plus you get a ton of exclusive perks for being a member. First of all, you have access to our private Facebook group, which is hopping. You get a Facebook live chat session every month that I lead in our group where I just kind of talk through the book thus far. Uh, you'll get a packet of materials that take your reading even further, like weekly summaries, discussion questions. We've got an awesome Spotify list that that month's author puts together for the Jen Hatmaker Book Club. It's really, really cool. You get a podcast with me and the book's author um, every single month, and it is the coolest. There's so much else that comes in the book club. Recipes, life tips, meetups. I mean, it's just, it's packed. So if that sounds like something you want in on, which you do, sign up now at jenhatmakerbookclub.com and join this awesome sisterhood. So go to jenhatmakerbookclub.com and please, for the love, join us today. Okay, guys, back to our show. We're going to wrap it up. These are like three questions that we are asking every single guest in the Fierce series. Okay, so here's the first one. These are essentially concepts that I really explored in the book. And so I'm curious to hear from another fierce woman who is free and full of fire, what she thinks about this. What's the biggest lie you've stopped believing about yourself? Oh gosh. You know, I think at least recently, there's a lot of lies I've had to stop believing about myself, but I think recently something that's really in the midst of all this adversity and clarity and all this conversation we've had, something big that I think I've realized, the biggest lie I've stopped believing is that my job is to accomplish things. Mm, Great. (laughs) Oh, burn. That actually hurt my feelings. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> well, I know that's the thing as an achiever, it's, it's just like hard stop. Like you have to marinate on that for a second and think about it and go, my job is not simply to accomplish dreams. Like I'm not here just to go, Oh, this is my dream. And now I've checked the box and I've accomplished it. So that's a big one. <laughs> I'm working on that too. And I had a real clarifying text conversation with a friend and I just cleared that deck too, that right now that is not my job. My job is to serve my community. And everything else is a distant second, third, fourth, fifth place. So thank you for saying that. How about this one? It's really the flip side of that. What's the most freeing, life-giving truth that you've learned about yourself? I think in tandem with that first lie that we've kind of been working through is that I am not the product of what other people expect of me. And my job is to leave a legacy. I think we get so focused on achieving things that we forget about what legacy we're leaving, which really kind of what, to your point, comes from how we pour into people, not just how we check things off or achieve dreams. Great. I love that word so, so much. Finally, this is the last question that we actually ask every single guest in every single series this to wrap it up. So uh, you can answer this literally however you want. What is saving your life right now? Time blocking. (laughs) I uh, have gotten really into over the last six months or so, especially as someone who works from home and you know the chaos that comes with that. I literally have someone banging in my master bathroom like 
doing demo as we're having a conversation, totally. you know, there's chaos everywhere. There's always things, demands on your time, all of that. And so one thing that I really implemented last year was time blocking and color coding the time blocks and having consistent blocks as much as possible every day, rather than feeling like I'm just kind of doing tasks randomly and setting up that system in my life has allowed me to create a better balance and build my work around my life rather than my life around my work. Oh my gosh. Brandon Hatmaker would just geek out to hear that answer. 100% that would like serve him so well. That is the way his brain works also. Um, And so I can't wait to um, have him listen to that answer. Jordan, tell everybody just very quickly, like where they can find you, your book, your work, all of it. Absolutely. Well, I hang out on Instagram at Jordan Lee Dooley. That's also my website, jordanleedooley.com. The book is on Amazon and at all major retailers. And I also have the Own It Academy, which is our online business school, but it's meant to really be a resource that comes alongside you, helps you build something purpose-driven from home, even if that's just a little something on the side. If you have that creativity you want to flex that muscle on, that would be a great resource for you as well. That's the ownitacademy.com. And we have monthly classes there and roadmaps to really start that well over there in the Own It Academy. Fantastic. So for everybody listening, we will have every single thing Jordan just said over on the podcast page linked up for you. So we'll link to her book, to her website, to her academy, everything that's at jenhatmaker.com. And we'll make sure that that's a one-stop shop for all things Jordan, including the transcript, if you want to go back and read some of our conversation. Okay, well, you know what? Just thank you. Thank you for being on today. Thank you for just living your life in such a beautiful, meaningful way and for bringing so many women along with you. I love partnering with women who love and serve other women. It was just a delight to talk to you today. What a nice, wonderful break from just being in this house with all these people still. (laughs) (laughs) Same here. Same here. I'm so thankful. Thank you for including me in in your beautiful show and for sharing me with your community. It's really an honor. Isn't she fun? Isn't she great? Like I felt very captivated by her energy over the course of that conversation. And I'm still thinking like I'm actually recording this little piece a little bit later. I'm still thinking about several things she said. You're going to want to follow Jordan. You're going to definitely enjoy her everywhere. I will make sure that over at jenhatmaker.com under the podcast tab, Amanda, of course, builds out this incredible page for you. We'll have everything linked to all of her work and her spaces and the own and academy, all of it. So that's a one-stop shop for you over there, including the written out transcript, which is a great resource. Okay, guys. The celebration for Fierce, Free, and Full of Fire continues. If you have not already pre-ordered the book, time to get cracking. You get so many good things. You get a mountain of good things when you pre-order. So if you're ever going to get it, get it before it comes out because then you get bonus stuff, including the webcast on April 30th, Jen, Brene Brown, Angela Johnson, Johnny Swim, and it's going to be really good. We're really working to make it incredible for you, like a virtual girls' night in. So you get that with pre-ordering the book. You can find all those details also at jenhatmaker.com. Okay, you guys, that's it. I'm loving this series and I'm loving you. So much more to come next week. So don't miss a single episode of this series, which is packed with awesome. All right, see you then.